0: the remarkable story of Sarah. And she is without question the most notable of all the notable women in the Old Testament. And Hebrews 11 rightly praises her because she judged him who was faithful. Peter also commends her by saying, 1 Peter 3, 6, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, the wonderful thing about the Bible is that when it comes to men and women of renown, the Bible is not frightened to expose their flaws and weaknesses. The Bible says that Elijah was a man with like passions, just as we are. And we know that throughout Scripture, God shows us and reveals to us The weaknesses and flaws of his great men and women. For instance, Moses lost his temper. David commits adultery. Abraham, we'll see in a moment or two, lies about his wife. Elijah has a pity party. Wanted to die. And we know that David committed adultery. Aaron builds a golden calf. Jacob cheats. Noah gets drunk. And on and on you could go. Now, the thing about Sarah is this. And even though she was a remarkable woman of God, and yet she shows much impatience. At times she's petulant. At times she has got a fiery temper. At other times she loves to be in control and control things around her. And then there are moments when she is very, very harsh with her staff, with her servants. And yet in spite of all of that, in spite of being such a beautiful, extraordinarily beautiful woman, as we'll see in a moment, the Bible shows her warts, metaphorically speaking, and all. So, even though today's story is very, very familiar to us all, uh, we want to revisit it and hopefully see it through fresh eyes. The, the weakness of a familiar story is is that we oftentimes have already our mind made up before we read it. We say, well, I know that, or I've heard that so many times. And often when we do that, we miss important, crucial parts of it. And so today we want to read this uh, remarkable story and hopefully, hopefully, See something fresh and new in it and certainly uh, learn some lessons from it. The first mention of of Sarai, uh, if I, through this course of this message this morning, if I say Sarah when I should be saying Sarai or say Abraham and I should be saying, Abram, you'll forgive me for that. Uh, it's, it's just that we they're so commonly known as Sarah and Abraham, uh, but actually... They weren't called that until they were 90, well Abraham was 90 uh, years old. And uh, so uh, we've got to wait a little while before we get to that in the story. But if I, if I inadvertently do that, then just please give me a pardon for that and ignore that, will you? It says here in chapter 11 when it's talking about, uh, telling us about the family history, I suppose. It tells us here uh, in verse 30. When it mentions Sarai, it says, But Sarai was barren, she had no child. That's the first thing we know about her. And it's important to know that, that she was barren, and she had no child. And so let's then begin to read uh, from chapter 12. Now, as we get through these few chapters, uh, we will skip entirely some of these chapters, because... It's not that important to our storyline this morning, but we've got to go through a few of them and pick out that which relates to our message. So in chapter 12 of Genesis then, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and all the people whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. Now let's just stop there just briefly for a moment. Abram and his father and family members had already set off on this journey. Had we read towards the end of chapter 11, we would have found that out. But for every reason, they, they, they waited and Abram's father died. And then once he died, then he was clear then at that point to go on and to continue obeying the Lord and to go out to this land where he knew not, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God and so forth. Now we see here that uh, he took his nephew Lot and his family uh, they had maidservants, men servants, they had much cattle and sheep and goats and all the rest of it. In fact, as you read on the story, you'll find that there were literally hundreds of them. There could have even been a thousand of them actually go out. So, this is a big retinue. This is a lot of people. Uh, and Abraham's a very rich, wealthy, probably businessman in Ur of the Chaldees. He's much money, much gold, many servants, lots of livestock. Big crowd goes out, so there's a whole train of them goes out to find the promised land. And you see here, he was, at this point, he was 75 years old when he began this journey. His wife was 10 years younger, so she was 65. So that's when most people are putting their feet up and getting their slippers on and watching daytime TV. They were about to set out on an incredible journey, and it would be a hard, long journey, perhaps maybe up to a thousand miles to reach where they eventually want to go. And remember, these are city-dwelling people and very well-off people, probably had a great home with servants and maidservants, and everything was done for them. Certainly for Sarah, that would be the case. Now they're going to have to go out and live as Bedouins, as, as travelers in the desert places. This This was no easy feat, particularly at their age. Now, it is true, because this is just nine generations uh, from Noah coming out of the ark. It is true that they lived longer in those days. In fact, his father died at 205, would you believe. So they were probably fairly fit and healthy, even though they were quite aged. Nevertheless, they set off on this journey, and it tells us here Uh, They departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth trees of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. The Canaanites were a vile pagan people with vile wicked practices. And so he had to face the Canaanites in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built another to the Lord who appeared to him. And he moved from here to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. So here we have uh, the Lord appearing to him. We'll see this again and again in the story. Most uh, commentators and theologians believe that this was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself uh, to Abram. Then in verse 10 it says, Now there was a famine in the land, And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Big mistake. Big mistake. Rational decision. Sounded logical. Seemed to be the only thing to do but he didn't pray about it. He didn't seek the Lord about it. He looked at the natural conditions that he was facing of severe famine and concluded Well, there's no famine in Egypt, so we might as well go to Egypt. Well, God didn't want him to go to Egypt. Egypt, by the way, more often than not in Scripture, is a type of the world. Going to Egypt is a type of going to the world for help or whatever. And so, he should have stayed in Canaan. This this going to Egypt was going to cause major problems in his life. He would live to regret this for the rest of his natural life big mistake but he does it he thinks logically and rationally it's seemingly the thing to do didn't pray about it let's go to Egypt there's no famine there instead of staying in Canaan and trusting God who promised that he would bless him and prosper in the very land that he's now leaving to go out of because he sees he thinks the conditions are not right and so he went down to Egypt where the famine was severe because the famine was severe and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Again, one of the few women in the Bible that has described her physical beauty. Remember, this woman is 65 years old. So she must have been extraordinarily beautiful. It's 65 years old. No Botox in those days. No nips and tucks. No cosmetic surgery. And so he's concerned. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say this is his wife and they will kill me. But they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister. That it may be well with me for your sake that I may live because of you. Now here he's Compromising he's going into the world as it were the first thing he does is compromise believers who go into the world are sure to compromise and that's what he's doing here he's not trusting the lord here at all you say well he's lying he says this is telling him this is my sister well it was a half truth actually it was his half sister they both had the same father but different mothers now this was before God gave Moses the law. That would come much later. And so God had put no prohibition on this. And and genetically speaking, it would still have been okay genetically because it was only nine generations from Noah's family who began a new race, as it were, who took up because of the flood. So genetically, there wouldn't be any problems. At this stage, later on, there would be. Now there would be today because the gene pool has has been radically changed. So get over that part of it, because that in that day was okay, it was acceptable. Later on it wasn't, and God put a prohibition against it, and it was very hard against it, but at this point it was not. So he says, say you're my sister, and I shall live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and a woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Now she, you can see that she really must have been stunningly beautiful. I mean, Pharaoh had his concubines. He had his harem. I mean, he had all the most beautiful women in the land. So she must have been exceptional. So he treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male and female servants. And female donkeys and camels. Did you notice that? And he gave him female servants. So now we know where he got Hagar, the Egyptian maid from. We'll see later on in the story. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say that she is my sister? So somehow he found out when these plagues started to happen, Some probably somebody belonging to Abraham said, This is the reason, because this shouldn't be happening. He says, I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So he's getting kicked out of Egypt. He's fortunate. He's living, actually. He's kicked out of Egypt. And then when you come into chapter 13, it says, then Abraham went up from Egypt and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. So he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So he's right back to where he started this journey that he never should have left in the first place. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first and there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Then it goes on to say in that chapter about how that Abraham's flocks and Lot's flocks, they had grown so much uh, that there was tension between the herdsmen. And Abraham said, look, this is not good. Uh, we'll divide up this section of land. Lot, you and your people, you have a look around, you take whatever part of the land you want, and I'll go in the opposite direction. If you take the east, I'll take the west. If you take the north, I'll take the south, as it were. Whatever you want, I'll take the opposite. Now, it was Abraham who was a senior man. It was his choice, but he deferred to Lot. And Lot looked around and saw the well water plains of Jordan and thought, hmm, that looks good. I'll have that, thank you very much. Trouble with that was, that's where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And Abraham said, okay, you take that, I'll take the hell country of Canaan. I'll take the rough ground, but that's okay. By the way, whenever Lot left, God says, look around Abraham, Abraham, all the land that you see, as far as your eye can see, all of this and more, I give to you, all of it. Now, if you read on in that particular story, and right on through, uh, right on down to chapter fourteen, uh, you will see then that now Lot is living in Sodom. He's at the gate of Sodom. He's living in Sodom. His family's there, and he sees all of the perversion and the filth that's going on it vexes his righteous soul from day to day but he still stays there and lives there with his whole family and then lo and behold a confederation of four kings come and attack the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his whole family are all taken captive away and when Abraham hears this he decides he'll go after them and he has 318 armed men with him trained our men and they go after these kings and they although they were facing great armies they actually won the battle and took Lot and his family back again and then coming back from that battle having won that towards the end of chapter 13 that's where he meets this strange mysterious priest called Melchizedek Uh, and I haven't time to go in this morning he was a type of Christ but we haven't time to go into that story this morning and then, of course, the king of Sodom says, listen, I want to uh, reward you for all that you've done and uh, you, you give me the, you know, all the goods that you've got. I want to give them to you. You can keep them. And you have been blessed with them. And Abraham says, no, I don't want anything from you, lest you say you made Abraham rich. Now, then it comes into chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who you will who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. The writers in the New Testament actually bring out this point when they're talking about faith and righteousness and so forth. Then he said to them, to him, beg your pardon, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then he tells him to cut the animals in two and put one on one side, and the other half on the other side, but don't split up the two birds and then wait. God is going to make a covenant with him here about this. And so he waited all day, and the vultures came to eat those sacrifices, and he had to beat them off, and then a great deep sleep came upon him, and in the midst of all of that, there's a burning torch of fire comes and goes up and down the middle between these, and that was God's sign to him that this was a a covenant, that God was signifying this. And it says there in verse 17, It came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, and so forth and so on. So, By the way, that geography, that Israel today has not inherited all of that yet. In fact, they've only got a tiny portion of all that God has promised them, geographically speaking. If you looked at a map in the back of your Bible and looked where the promise is, it's a vast, vast area, and tiny little Israel hasn't even hardly begun to inherit all of that. One day they will, but not right now. Now, chapter 16. Now we're getting into the heart of this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So Abram's now 85 years old. Sarai is 75. She's waited 10 years. Now the Lord hadn't come to her yet to give these mighty promises to. But she knew, I'm sure, from Abraham, that the Lord had promised him a seed, his seed, from his own loins, would be raised up and a great nations would come from him. Now when it came to she was seventy five, she probably at that point thought this will certainly not happen through me. The Lord has withheld childbearing from me and so again thinking logically, rationally not seeking the Lord about it at all comes to this foolish unwise conclusion and makes a drastic and terrible, disastrous mistake not only was it a great mistake it was even immoral should never have happened but whenever we get into the flesh, we make awful mistakes. And she's about to make the biggest one of her life. And the world's still suffering because of it, by the way, after 4,000 years between the Jews and the Arabs. And so, she obviously goes to Abram, explains the situation, has a chat with Hagar, the young Egyptian maid, and says, by the way, I want you to be a surrogate mother. This is the first instance of surrogacy we see in history. I want to rent a womb, by the way. That's what it amounts to, doesn't it? And you'll have this child of my husband, and when you have it, it will not be yours, it'll be ours. But she's a young Egyptian maid. What could she do? What could she say? Nothing. Abram should have said, No, this is not right. We can't do this. It would be dishonoring to do this, but he didn't. Another big mistake on his part. So, a wedding ensued. Don't know if it was a grand wedding or a quiet one, but a wedding happened nonetheless. And so this 85-year-old man is now marrying this young Egyptian maid. You can imagine the gossip there must have been in the camp camp. You can imagine the tittle-tattle among all of the maids. It must have been a bit of a joke. But nevertheless, Hagar has got the attention of the master. And so, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Now, if Sarah had any, any doubts whatsoever about her infertility... Or his sterility, supposedly. If she had any doubts about any of that, it's blown away now. She knows for sure that it's nothing to do with Abram. He's okay. He can still have kids, but she can't. So even though she probably felt that anyway, but any doubts is blown away now, she knows for sure. And when she saw that she had conceived... This is Hagar. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, Hagar initially would have been without fault because she was a young maid. What could she do? But she's not at fault now. Now she has got onto her high horse. Now pride has struck at her heart. Now she's thinking, hey, your wife couldn't give you any children, but I could. Your wife's past it, but I'm not. So you can see how this young Egyptian maid would suddenly be puffed up with pride over what has happened. And she began to despise her mistress and look down upon her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Now wait a wee minute. Whose idea was this in the first place? Sarai's. Who thought this up? Who schemed it? Who plotted it? Sarai. Who's she blaming? Abram. Is that fair? Is that right? Actually, Abraham had the bigger fault. Abraham, being the spiritual leader of his home, should have says, no, no, this is not right before God. And I know you're frustrated, and I know you're desperately trying to make this happen and come true, but this is not right before God. We cannot and will not do this, but he didn't. So he has the bigger blame. And now she's saying to him, actually, I'm paraphrasing, you should have stopped this, but you didn't. Look what's happened now. I know it was my idea, but look what's happening. She's despising me. She's treating me like dirt in my own house. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Well, the one thing she couldn't do, according to the law of the land, not God's law, but the law of the land, she could not get rid of her. So, what does she do? And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So now Sarai cannot get rid of her, but she's going to make her life a misery. Now this is the side of Sarai that we rather would not see. Because she is mentioned as a great woman of faith and beauty and demeanor and everything in the New Testament. But the Bible's very, very honest and it's appraisal of our humanity, isn't it? So this is a side that the Bible's showing us that we really don't want to see but we have to look at it. And here is her frustrations and her petulance coming out and her fiery temper and not treating her staff very well. She's treating her very, very harshly indeed. So much so, in fact, that Hagar comes to the point where she has had enough She wakes up one day and says, that's it, I'm out of here. And she does get out of there. And she runs, which was dangerous for her as a maid, as a slave actually. She runs and she heads towards Egypt, to her homeland. She's had enough of this house. Now that's rather sad in fact, because here are two, listen to me, here are two godly people, Abram and Sarai, Followers of the one true and living God. And in her house is this lovely young woman that's been taken from her idolatrous lifestyle, her pagan lifestyle, a sun god worshiper, and she's in among this godly bunch. And when she should be looking up to the God of heaven as a true and living God because of the example they're setting, they're treating her very harshly. And she's probably thinking, well, if if this is the God they serve, I don't want anything to do with that God. Isn't it a tragedy when we as believers, if we treat other people so harshly and wrongly and badly that they walk away and say, well, if that's your God, I don't want anything to do with him. And that's what lots of people do, isn't it? Because we don't set the example. So she runs. But look what happens, verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord, now here's this terminology of again, again, most theologians, commentators believe that this is a pre-incarnate, theophany uh, appearance of Christ now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur and he said Hagar Sarai's maid notice how he addresses her he's reminding her where have you come from and where are you going now, of course he knows where she's come from and he certainly knows where she's going but he's a list thinking. how many knows when God asks you a question he already knows the answer, but he's wanting you to, for you, us to say something. So where have you come from, and where are you going? Well, she's come from this supposedly godly house, and she's going to go back to her old gods. By the way, she's nearly on the border of Egypt here. She's almost there. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarah. the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now that was not what you would want to hear. You can imagine her heart must have dropped at that point. But I mean, here's the Lord speaking to her. She knows who believes, she thinks she knows who this is. This is really important. She's got to do this. But then he encourages her. Listen to what he says. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, or God hears, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And then he describes this child. He shall be a wild man. And every hand shall be against his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his people. By the way, the Arabs, Arab tribes come from Ishmael. And there's a fairly apt description. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Or El-Rohai. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I, also seen, ha, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well is called Beer Lahai Rohai, which means the well of the one who lives and sees. It is between Kadesh and Berit. And so Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So she must have told them the whole story. But meeting the angel of the Lord and the promise that would be given to the son that would be born to her and he was to be called Ishmael. And obviously, Abram and Sarai hear the story and believe it. And that must have tempered things. That must have calmed things down a lot because now they know. They know that God's got involved in this. Even though it was their mistake, but now God's got involved in this. And there's a great promise to this young boy. And so they cooled. And we can hopefully believe from that point on to much later on, things was much calmer in the household. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. and When Abram was 90 years old, now hold me a minute. Between chapter 16 and 17, 13 years has elapsed. Sometimes you just read from one chapter to the other and a whole generation can be gone. Thirteen years has elapsed. And in that thirteen years, God did not speak to Abraham. The heavens were as brass. God was silent. And that must have been a lesson for Abraham. Because God had been speaking a lot to this man. Guiding him, coming to him, sharing with him. And now for 13 years, he's not speaking at all. They're realizing now the mistake that they had made. Even though God's got involved in it now to bring something out of it. But they realize that God was displeased. So, After 13 years, when he's 99 years old now, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you a father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means a father of a multitude or father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be... God, to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan shall be an everlasting possession and I will be their God." God said, to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. So that was going to be the sign of this covenant that he was going to make. I haven't time to go into all of the symbolism of that and what it all means. If you read the next few verses, you talk about the right of circumcision, but then you go to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarah means my princess. Her father obviously called her that. Many a father believes her daughter is their little princess. Amen? But God says, she'll no longer be called my princess, but just princess. Because now she's going to be a mother of nations. So, I will bless her. I will also give you a son by her. And I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? Now you can see why he laughed, but it wasn't a laugh of unbelief, it was a laugh of joy. He couldn't contain himself. He was excited. And who wouldn't have been? He'd been waiting for this all of his life. He's now 99 years old and he's thinking, when this child's born, I'll be 100 I mean, this is just incredible. And he's excited and he's laughing about it. And then he says, verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ah. See, Ishmael is his son. His firstborn. Not the child of promise, but his firstborn. And he's got a soft spot for him. Sarah hasn't, but he has. Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall begat twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation which has been true and has been fulfilled. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And when he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And then if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see that he took all of his household, including Ishmael, and circumcised them, as God had told him to. Then chapter 18, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men. Notice it says, the Lord appeared to him. And then it says, and he looked and he saw three men. They just appeared. did doesn't even say how they got there. They just suddenly appeared. So this is the Lord with two angels. Three men standing by him. and They looked like men, only there was something different about these three, and he recognized that immediately. And he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass, by, pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Now that would be typical Bedouin hospitality. But it's more than that, Abraham. He recognizes something's going on here. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, that you may pass by insomuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham, Abraham returned to the, this tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? He said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now remember, they're standing outside the tent a little bit. She's inside the tent. She can't see them. They can't see her, but she's listening. Therefore, sorry, she'll have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Ah, but her laugh was different. This sounded incredulous to her. I mean, she must have been thinking, are they serious? They must be joking." Do not know my age? Do not understand that this is, I I'm, mean, I'm I'm, my age, there's no possible way this can happen. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, surely, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Note the next part. For she was afraid. Why was she afraid? Because suddenly she's realized, Hey, I didn't laugh out loud. I just laughed into myself. And this man knew he could even see me or even hear me. Knew that I had laughed within myself. Knew exactly what I was thinking. So she realized this is just no stranger walking in here and her life. This is this is the Lord. So she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So it's it's a it's a slight rebuke, but not too hard on her. But just letting her know no, you did laugh. I know what's going on. I knew what was in your heart. And then if you read from Verse 16, all the way through that chapter and all the way into the next chapter, it talks about the angels going into Sodom and Gomorrah and seeing what, the, what was going on there and how that they were going to destroy it and how Abraham begged with them and pleaded with them and tried to bargain with them not to destroy the whole place. And then how that Lot and his family was escaping and how Lot's wife turned back and turned into a pillar of salt and so forth. And then you come into chapter 20. We're almost through just in a moment or two. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar now Abraham said of Sarah his wife she sorry now Abraham said of Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah now can you believe this Can you believe that after all of this time, after all of the appearances of the Lord, after all of the promises he got, I mean, after this tremendous thing that God told him was going to happen and all the faith he had to use to get him to this point in his life, but here he is once, (coughs) excuse me, once again, he's going to lie. Of course, we wouldn't do anything like that. Sure, we wouldn't. I mean, we're more spiritual than Abraham, aren't we? I mean, we would never backslide or lie or do anything that would be displeasing the Lord. Sure we wouldn't. Yeah, we wouldn't. So he says, she's my sister. Now listen to me. Think about it. She's 90 years old. She'll be ninety there her next birthday. And Abraham is still concerned about her beauty. And evidently he had every right to be. She's 90 years old and she's still beautiful. Enough for a king to want her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman who you have taken. Because she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. Or he would have been a dead man if he got too close He was getting her prepared. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she, even who she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld from you sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. Now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you. Now he's not a prophet in the sense that he was predicting things. A prophet in the sense that he could speak on behalf of God but didn't have to be a prediction by the way. Now he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. I bet you did. Called for his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Why have you done? What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have done this to us, that you brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to have been done. He's rebuking him. And the Lord allows him to rebuke him. Because they need it rebuked for their unbelief. Their lack of faith. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. It came to pass when God called me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place wherever you go. Say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Hmm. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Then quickly, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old When his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. (laughs) No wonder he was called laughter. There must have been some joy and laughter in that household from that time on when this little son came in. However, We're almost finished, but not quite with the story. However, so the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So he probably was about three years old, maybe four, maybe two and a half, and about that, a toddler in other words. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. Ah, the old tensions has come back. Here's this Hagar's son, Ishmael. He's about perhaps 16, maybe 17, 15, 16, 17. I do about that age now. And here he is, and he's looking down at this little half-brother, and he's mocking. He's a bit big to be doing that, isn't he? You'd understand if he was five years old and a new baby comes into the house and they want to poke their eyes and nip them behind their mommy's back because they're jealous. But now he's a teenager. He ought to know better. Remember what the Lord said? He'd be a wild man and his hand would be against his neighbor and his neighbor's hand against him. And as soon as Sarah saw that, she thought, this is not going to work in this household. So what does she do? She said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. I think that Sarah realized there's no question that Abraham loved Ishmael. No question of that. But there was a danger because he was not the son of promise, there was a danger that he would want to share with this son of promise, the inheritance. That he would show maybe too much favoritism to this son of the bond woman. Because God's plan has got to be put into operation. God's promises has got to come true here. And anything that's going to come between that and the promises of God coming true, he's got to give. And I think Sarah must have begun to realize this. Abraham will be too soft here. He'll take sides here. This, this just is not going to work in this house. So says, Cast her out and her son out of this house. Seems a bit harsh, but actually, God allows this and God commends her for this. Listen to what happens. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. So in this case, God says, listen to your wife. She's right this time. <laughs> She's absolutely spot on. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because she is your seed. So Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder, he gave it, and the boy gave, and he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. That seems kind of miserly. A man with all his money and wealth, he gives her what? a loaf of bread and a skin of water. Not very much to send her off into the wilderness. But God was going to look after her. Agar and, Ishmael. and when the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs then he went and sat down across from him at a distance about a bow shot for she said to herself let me not see the death of the boy so she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept and God heard the voice of the lad so he's been weeping too God heard the voice of the lad Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And from him came the Arab nations. Probably the most wealthiest people on earth today. Of course, with that came the tension between the Jews and the Arabs. If you read on down that chapter, you'll see that he made a covenant with Abimelech, king of Gerar. And then, we can't read this because of time, because we're just a bit finished, but if you read chapter 22 you'll find that that's whenever God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. Now, we don't know because it doesn't say whether Abraham told Sarah about this. That's just left blank for us. I suspect that he didn't. I suspect that he didn't. And he took a three-day journey to Mount Moriah they climbed the mountain they had the sticks they made the altar they raised a the knife and God says Abraham Abraham and stopped him because he was intent on in killing him in fact the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that he believed that God would raise him from the dead so he's really really operating in faith now isn't he and God says no you don't need to do that now I know I put you to the test now I know There was a ram caught in the thicket, so he made the sacrifice. Did Sarah know? I suspect that at the time she didn't. Might have been too much for her to handle. But you can be sure when she came back, she knew. Then it says in chapter 23, verse 1, and we'll finish now. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So it seems like that he was out of town when she died. He maybe he was in Beersheba, maybe he was on business, because he's a very rich, wealthy businessman. And it, it would imply, we can't be sure, but it would imply that she died suddenly. Because she had been having a long, lingering death, Abraham would not have left her side. it seems like she died suddenly Sarah is the only woman in the Bible that the years of her life how old she was is recorded at the time of her death 127 years she lived a long time after the birth of Isaac Isaac would be 37 when she died what a wonderful woman of God. In spite of all her faults and her obvious weaknesses and feelings. If you go to Hebrews 11, which we did there, you'll see that she's mentioned in the heroes of faith. She gets a mention, doesn't she? Peter talks about her. And Peter praises her as, a, as an ideal model for womanhood in general. And I think for motherhood in particular. She's a great character, isn't she? And God used her mightily. 4,000 years later, in that little land in the Middle East, where Sister Lois is today. Lois could be in Bethlehem. She could be in Jerusalem today. She's over there anyway, enjoying the Holy Land. And to this day, the ramifications of her giving birth to that little boy still rumble on to this day four millennia later, amen? Let's pray.